Georgia lawyers Bob and Irreverent D talk law. Listen up for stories about how things really happen in our legal system. Who are these guys? Dwayne Singleton, Irreverent D, is a criminal defense attorney in the state of Georgia. Benjamin O. Benson, a.k.a. Bob, is a personal injury attorney in Atlanta. Today on the show, Bob and Irreverent D welcome their guest, Adam Yonkers. Now, sit back and take a listen as Bob and Irreverent D talk law. So, you know, well, welcome to the Bob and Irreverent D talk law podcast. Welcome to our new studio. It's in a completely different place than the old studio, which is like over there. This is for our thousands of followers. Yes. Yes. Literally thousands of followers. And welcome to our more abbreviated new format. Uh, I'm Bob or Ben Benson, and I'm here in Atlanta. And this is, I'm joined as always by Irreverent D of the Dwayne Singleton Trial Lawyers Group. The Singleton Trial Lawyers Group. Griffin, Georgia. In Griffin, Georgia. There we go. Do criminal defense and and family law. And we're also joined by Adam Juncker. Um, tell us about your practice, Adam. Uh, currently, I do insurance defense. I've done that for about five years. And then before that, I did criminal defense for 10 years, mostly in uh, Fayette, Spalding, Pike, Upson, and South Metro areas. And Adam's one of the hippest guys that I know. His <laughs> Jordans and his earring there. He's just, you know, got it together. A He's a trendsetter. Awesome. My wife yes. my wife vetoed the ponytail when I went into criminal defense. So I had to, <laughs> I had to cultivate the image other ways. That's it. I had the same kind of ultimatum when I was starting uh, personal injury practice. My wife is in, like, insurance claims uh, for years and years. She said, I will divorce you if I ever see you on a billboard or on the side <laughs> of a bus. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so today we're going to be talking about the young thug, Mr. Thug YSL trial. <laughs> yes, we've been we've been covering this for a while, and uh, to be honest, uh, Dwayne and I are surprised. I, Irreverend D and I are surprised that it's actually started. Uh, ten months. Ten months of jury selection. Jury. Thousands of people they had to go through. Two. We'll do two thousand. Two thousand. That was wow. the number I saw. Let's get into the news. Dwayne, spend a couple minutes. Tell us, like, what's happening. So they're doing this RICO action, and at the beginning of it, they had 28 co-defendants. I think now we're down to six. So we've only got six left. We've finally done opening statements, the opening statement of Brian Steele that was heard around the world that... uh, Everyone. The one where he was like making stuff up about like what what young he thug was explaining stand, stands to for. The jury, it was ridiculous, what? wasn't it? Oh, we can talk about it later. Go ahead, tell. <laughs> I'm, I'm interrupting you. No, Go no, ahead. no, it's uh, fine. It's fine. Discussion is for later. Yeah, tell yeah. us what's happening. So you know, now we're down to nine. I mean, we've actually had nine days of trial that we've actually heard opening statements, and now we've gotten into some testimony. But we're still in the state's case, so we haven't even gotten into the good stuff where uh, the defense lawyers are going to start bringing in all these celebrities and hearing all this testimony. It's going to be great. Okay, so can you just take a minute right. and take us through, because I, I know how a civil trial is supposed to go, right. but I don't actually know, other than watching you know, TV shows or you know, watching you know, the Lincoln lawyer, like how a criminal trial is supposed to go. Like what, are the, what, what, are, what happens? So once you do your jury selection, which normally takes one, 
two days, maybe three days tops. Right. Um, then you do your opening statements. And then each side, since we've got six co-defendants, would have each done an opening statement along with one opening statement from the state. So that might take forever just to let all of them do opening statements. So opening statement, yeah. I think Brian Steele's opening statement was like an hour, a little over an hour and a half or something. And for all young lawyers out there watching this, you need to watch Brian Steele's opening statement. It is like brain surgery. It is brilliant. It's he good. breaks it down. I mean, I know they took the clip and they talked about, you know, thug, uh, truly humble under God <laughs> and pushing P. He was like ridiculed yeah, in social media for P that, right? was pushing positivity. But the way he lays out the defendant's life and who he is and paints the story of this young man, I mean, he is the saint of Jonesboro when Brian Steele gets down. Meaning Mr. Thug is. Oh, yes. It's just, you know, he's helped all of his family and friends, and he goes into all this. And Brian gets away with stuff that most lawyers can't. He goes right up to the edge of what you're allowed to do and and pushes on through it. Give me an example. So you're only allowed to talk about what the evidence is actually going to show, right? And so he talks. Hang on, hang on. How do you know what the what evidence is going to be in? Well, we've exchanged discovery, right? Okay. We've talked about our witnesses. We have an idea generally of what they're going to talk about. But he talks about uh, Young Thug's life, right, in great detail. And Young Thug may or may not testify in this trial. But oh, he gets so to you're tell assuming that that's going to get into testimony somehow. It okay. gets to come out of Brian's mouth, and it's just great. You know, and... Adam did criminal defense for 10 years, and he, he gave him absolute hell. So what did you watch the opening statement? I, I haven't, but I've seen a Brian Steele opening statement. Brian, Brian is one of the, the alpha-tier criminal defense lawyers in, in the metro area. Like, he is top-notch. And his wife does it with him, uh, Colette. And I don't remember if I tried something with him where I had, like, some tiny co-defendant or I was just watching one of his. But he's, he's Cracker Jack. Tremendous flair for all you know all the all the boxes you want to check as a defense lawyer, right? You wanna you wanna be memorable, you wanna be forceful, compelling. He can do all of that stuff. And it's I mean, I no one's gonna call you on telling your client's tale that they don't tell Well she did. She objected and they yeah. had to go up and do a sidebar and then they came back and he went right into it. He just kept doing it? He just kept going. Oh wow. Yeah, but he, he goes through and he breaks down the indictment piece oh. by piece, and he goes ahead and gets in front of the bad evidence, puts it out there for the jury to hear, explains it away, and he goes through it every single step. And, you know, we've got this huge indictment, and Young Thug's only looking at a couple of the counts. And, you know, he goes into basically liars in the community and how liars in the community get off and get lower, you know, get lesser sentences by lying, you know, talking, making, you know, referencing. So you, think he was, you think he was alluding to Gunna? Gun, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Without saying I'm not going to name any names right. around here, but yeah. some people are snitching. <laughs> Let me explain what he saw growing up. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Somebody would have terrible charges and then they'd all get dismissed because they came in and lied for the police. And, you know, he goes through the whole... But he, he focuses on the fact that this is an artist, and this is an artist who's done extremely well at his craft. And he's being, and they went through and they searched through his lyrics to basically make this case work. 
I, I think that's going to backfire on him. I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> do, do not take hip-hop artists at their word, right? Their claims of what they've done based on their records are suspect. Right. All right? Like, I suppose if it was, like, really detailed, like, the guns underneath the magnolia tree at right. 36 Drury Lane with, you know, right. with the lady's purse, and they go there and they find it, like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe that's admissible, but, like, you know, yeah, I like to hit a lick once in a while. Like, don't like, yeah. well, so know, what? <laughs> in the videos when they're driving these fancy cars and they're throwing all this money around, it's not their money. It's the studio's <laughs> money, right? It's not That's their right. car. They're just playing this part. We've represented robbers. They don't tend to have that much money as a general rule. <laughs> I've, represented, I've represented rappers, and they didn't have that much money as a general rule. All right, now, let me ask you this. Uh, we have not talked about this before, but, like, we had Holt Dog on the show, yes. and his overall impression was, hey, look, what happens is when you make it big, if you haven't brought up other people with you, you become a target. When you listen to uh, Steele's opening arguments, did you get like some of that? He same- absolutely talked about that. He talked about the fact that he, that he had multiple requests for people to pay their attorney, to, for him to pay their attorney's fees, multiple requests for money. Multiple requests that if I kill somebody, will you do something for me? And that he didn't do it. He didn't pay these people. He didn't give them money, but they were requesting it from him. And so the state's going to try to use all those requests to say that, you know. he Oh, to imply that that's what the kind of business he was in. Right, absolutely. You know, and the, the bottom line is, why would he need to sell a bag of marijuana and a little bit of cocaine, right, when you're making tens of millions of dollars off your fashion, just off his fashion brand alone, not to mention his music. Interesting. Yeah. So um, when you are representing a co-defendant, you mentioned this earlier, like what role would you take? Would you do your own opening statement? Would you try and differentiate your guy from the main guy? Like what, what would you do? So, I mean, it all depends. The, the way I was taught and the way I believe is correct is you cultivate a theory of the case. And the theory of the case is your story that encompasses every fact that a jury is going to hear. If it, if it misses a fact, you fail. It covers all of it, and it's consistent with the verdict you're asking for. In a criminal case, it's not guilty or guilty on, on lesser charges, right? Like, yeah, I possess some weed, but no, I wasn't trafficking a pound. Um, and so as a co-defendant, it's the same deal. You have your own theory of the case. Now, you can work with the defendant if you think it'll work out for you. There's a guy out of uh, Macon who's another alpha tier guy, one of my old teachers, Frank Hogue. I asked him, because uh, you can, you can at least in criminal, you can reserve your opening statement until the start of the defense's presentation of evidence. And nobody ever does it because it's primacy and recency, right? The first thing you hear and the last thing you hear are the most important. So as a criminal defense lawyer, you take a shot. And I asked Frank, I said, is there ever a time you would waive your opening statement and do it at the start of the defense case? He said, the only time I would do it is if, and it would have to be a lawyer I trusted completely not to throw me or my guy under the bus. And we had a consistent theory of defense, meaning we both had the same story, right? Two guys in the backseat of a car, 
there's and someone else is driving and they're like, it's not our drugs, it's his drug sort of thing. He said, I would do, I would have one of us give the first opening statement and then I would have the other guy reserve it and do it at the start of the defense case so you can take another crack. So you're going to boom, boom, and boom. Yeah. Right? That's the only time he said he would ever do it. And I kind of tend to agree with it. And it's never come up. I, I've never come across a case where I was willing to do it. And I doubt Dwayne has either. No, I've never done that at all. I mean, I've seen it done on other cases. But, you know, like if I'm representing multi co defendants and I don't like where their side's going, I know one guy's yeah. going down. I want to be the last chair at the last table sitting away from everybody else so that, like, we're not even friends. Like, we're not even buddies. We're, we're not with here. these people. No, it's, it's not just our us thing. by ourselves. My name is Paul. That's between y'all. But, oh. you know, they, when they do these big indictments like this, I mean, we started out with 28 people, and they've just fallen off. Either, I mean, attorneys are going broke defending their defending. clients because— you know, people are like, why do you charge so much for a RICO case? I'm like, because it could be a shit show like this. Yeah. Right? You know, me, you know. so now we've only, we're only down to the last few handful of people with the most serious charges. Well, I can't imagine why, but in the last few, I don't know, months, there's been some extra, extra criticism from the people that drafted the RICO laws in this state, recognizing how awful it is. I don't know. Right. Who may have been indicted for RICO charges that makes them change their tune? But I am excited to see uh, changes to... Well, because to, the statute's uh, ridiculous. It's awful. The so statute's bad. absolutely ridiculous. All right, in a nutshell, why is it ridiculous? Why is it stupid? Because it allows somebody who's really not the primary person committing the crime to be tied into multiple... I mean, we got murders, we've got drug sales, we've got multiple cases... Then we have to try them all at once instead of trying the, each individual crime on its merits. We get people convicted just because they're, we think they're bad. Or they're lumped together with the other five defendants. Right. You're with these bad people, so you're a bad person too, well, right? And I don't mind that aspect of the RICO case so much, but Georgia's RICO law allows for anything, basically, to be a criminal enterprise. I mean, there, there are police... Off, there are police agencies I know that technically would meet the statutory definition of RICO, right? Like, it's wow. it's very, very broad. It has a civil asset forfeiture component to it that, of course, is just used to, like, wholesale, take people's stuff for a lower burden of proof, keep it, and then you charge these people with this stuff. And I've been screaming about it for years, and the Georgia's legislature just kind of thumbed their nose at me every time I'd scream about it. And now, all of a sudden, they're like, well, hold on. Hold on, Adam. Maybe you got a point there for the past 10 years. You know, you're talking about that, this forfeiture stuff. A lot of times their stuff's gone before they ever get to try it. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> we, did a whole, we did a whole episode on that, right. like episode two, I think. Yeah. yeah. That's it's crazy. terrible. Well, uh, that's all the time that we have. Thanks for joining the Bob and Irreverent D Talk Law podcast. Make sure you comment in the um, in the comment section. Let us know where you're listening from. Let, yeah, and let us know what you think about the about the trial. Like we're we're really interested to hear about whether uh, whether it's something you're interested in, and whether you'd like for us to like maybe go over it in a more long form. Uh, thanks for joining us. Make sure you subscribe. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time when Bob and a Reverend D talk law. Mm-hmm.